Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. song Caitlin was playing that's got to be one of my favorite newer songs that uh, says that who the sun sets free is free indeed I wonder who wrote that I believe that's Bible amen love it love it love it I believe also prayer tends to change things who believes that I do too we just heard that uh the latest scan said Bobby did not have a heart attack. It's anxiety. Now, you can call it what you want, but I think prayer was involved in that. So, praise the Lord. Well, this is one of those sermons that uh, I, all I'll say is I hope somebody needs to hear it because it's a tough one. And uh, it's, it's dealt with me this week, and I think that if you'll open your heart, I think it'll speak to you as well, but it's a, it's a hard one. It's one of those hard messages that it's stuff that you don't like to talk about. It's stuff that definitely is not popular to talk about. A lot of preachers shy away from it, but I tell you what, it's, it's Word. It's Bible. And uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning. For those that pay attention, I preached Nehemiah chapter 9 about three weeks ago. It's actually chapter 6, but I flipped my numbers around and said it was chapter 9. It wasn't. But we're in chapter 9 for real this week. Last week, we began looking at the keys to revival, looking at the story of the Israelites in Nehemiah's time and some of the things that they did that brought national revival to their, to their people. And we, we went through the first five based on Nehemiah chapter 8, and that was first unity, the unity of the people. It was a return to God's word, true biblical worship, a brokenness over sin, and an obedience, obedience to what the Bible says. They began to have a national revival. I mean, people were humble before their God. They read the Word. The Bible says they worshiped together. They were obedient. When they found something in the Bible that they were supposed to be doing that they were not, they started doing it. When they realized the Bible said that there was something that they were doing they weren't supposed to do, guess what? They stopped. They were obedient, and they were broken by their sinfulness. And that leads us into where we are this morning. A couple of weeks pass from chapter 8 to chapter 9, and they have another national assembly, a big get-together of all the people. Remember that phrase last week, all the people. All the people came together again. Some of your Bibles will have a title over this chapter that says something like National Confession of Sin. You can see where this message is going, right? It's going to be a fun one. Confession of sin. Um, there's a lot we're going to learn, I think, today in, in Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's start with verse 1. We're going to go through this. There's a few more keys to revival. Three this morning we need to look at. Starting there in verse 1, it says, On the 24th day of this month, so a couple weeks after we left chapter 8, 
the Israelites assembled. Get this, they were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and put dust on their heads or ashes on their heads. Now listen, if anybody shows up here in sackcloth, we're going to have a talk, all right? Just saying. But the first key that we see in this is something we don't talk about a lot, and that is fasting. Fasting is a key to revival, personal revival, national revival, revival in the church. And there's a lot of misunderstanding today about fasting. And I think that's why you don't hear a lot about it. But you go from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. It is full of passages that deal with and talk about God's people fasting. So the first thing we need to know about fasting is its intended purpose. Fasting is so much more than just not eating in order to get something that you want. Okay, let's be honest. It begins with not getting what you deserve. All right? Notice that the Israelites, in this case, they weren't trying to get something from God. They weren't fasting and praying in the hopes that God would rain down these blessings from heaven to give them something that they really, really wanted or thought that they really, really needed. They were trying to get God to not give them the thing that they deserved, which was His judgment for their sinfulness. We refer to that as mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Really, um, before we get to that point... Um, we got to kind of differentiate between what mercy is, which is not getting what you deserve, and what grace is. We think grace is being able to do whatever you want to and just say you're sorry. Wrong. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But we, before we get to grace, folks, we got to get to mercy. We got to find forgiveness from God. They had returned to the Word. And if you remember last week, the Word revealed to them their sinfulness. It showed them who they were and that they were in violation of God's holy standards. And they deserved, because of that, the full-blown wrath of God. That's what they deserved. That's what we deserve. And so now they are fasting for God's mercy. The great Methodist preacher John Wesley said, Bear up the hands that hang down. By faith and prayer, support the tottering knees. And then he says, have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein. And guess what? Mercy will come down. We see the same thing happening in other parts of Scripture. For example, when Jonah the prophet goes to that sinful city, Nineveh, and that God says, Jonah... Long story short, I want you to go there and tell them that I'm really mad at them. I'm going to destroy them and their city. And Jonah finally went the long way around. He finally got there, and he begins to tell this city that God is going to destroy them. And the Bible doesn't even tell us that he told the people they could be saved. He just says God's going to destroy this city, and that's it. And so all the people of that city began to mourn. And they began to weep, and they put on sackcloth and ashes, just like we see here. And the Bible says they fasted for God's mercy. And what happened? Their, their sincerity of repentance moved God to relent from his anger, and he spared the city of Nineveh. That's the first part of true biblical fasting, is finding God's mercy. 
The second part of fasting is fasting for a purpose other than mercy. Now, we do see examples of this throughout Scripture. And one of my favorite is probably in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says that he turns his attention to God to seek him by prayer and petitions, by f through fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I see a theme here. That's the other purpose is to seek God earnestly, like Daniel says. So fasting, think about what it is. Fasting is a physical act that God honors in the spiritual realm. So we are physical beings, aren't we? We're more physical than we are spiritual, whether we want to admit it or not. We are very physical. And when we sincerely sacrifice this flesh, I believe because of what the Bible says, that God honors that sacrifice of obedience by acting on our behalf in the spiritual realm. In the very next chapter, let me give you an example just so you can don't have to argue. In the very next chapter, Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel once again praying and fasting. This time he's on a 21-day fast. Uh, if you want to try that, it's rough. Just eating vegetables for 21 days is rough. I'll just say that. Anyway, he's praying, he's fasting for 21 days. And guess what? An angel shows up. How many people have been fasting and praying and God sent an angel to you? Isn't that cool? So an angel shows up and he says, Daniel, guess what he says? Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Why? What's so special about Daniel? He's sacrificing his flesh. He says, you are a man treasured by God. And then he goes on to tell him how his prayers had been heard. And he tells Daniel, he says, I am here. I came from heaven to here because of your prayers. And he said that he was delayed by the prince of Persia. And which, you see, Daniel didn't realize there was a spiritual battle taking place that he could not see. But all the while, he's fasting, and he's praying, and he's seeking God. And so Daniel joined in that spiritual battle by prayer and fasting. And God dispatched, the Bible says, Michael the angel to come and relieve the angel that came to Daniel so he could come and, and help Daniel. And so now this angel has come, and the point is, like I said, we can't see what's going on behind the scenes. I can't see what's going on in this world half the time. I'm blind as a bat. We definitely can't see what's taking place in the heavenly realms, the Bible calls it. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, to remind us, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm telling you all that to tell you this. When you pray, when you fast, don't give up just because you don't see any progress. Just because you don't see that person letting go of the things that you believe they need to let go of. Or you don't see the people getting saved that you think need to get saved. Or you don't think you see God acting. There is a battle that is raging over the souls of mankind this morning. And the only way that we can participate in it is through prayer and fasting. God sees your sacrifice. He hears your prayers. And He will honor that sacrifice in the spiritual realms. The great missionary Andrew Murray said, Prayer is reaching out after the unseen, but fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. 
Fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So if we want revival, if we want a closer relationship with God, listen, we need fasting. It's not something that the old timers did that we have forgotten about. It's biblical. And if we're going to be people of the word, we need to fast. The next thing we see that comes along with this is fasting focuses our attention from our flesh to God. It brings us to a point of repentance. I told you this was going to be a fun one, folks. Repentance. Prayer and fasting throughout the Old Testament typically coincide with putting on sackcloth and covering yourself with ashes. And that's because, like we said, the chief aim of that fasting was, in those days especially, to seek God's mercy, to hopefully get God not to punish you and destroy you because that's what the people deserve. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Sackcloth and ashes were a sign, an outward expression of true repentance. The sackcloth, y'all know what that is, right? It's like a big scratchy thing, burlap. You imagine wearing that around? It's uncomfortable. And that, that's the point. Repentance is uncomfortable. And the ashes represented destruction or desolation. And so repentance involves recognizing how sin has ruined us spiritually and sometimes even physically and emotionally. But since it's sincere when we're actually mourning, we're actually broken because of our sinfulness. When you realize what a Devastation, sin is wreaked not only on your life, but the lives around you. The, what it costs God, how it has broken His heart. We need more repentance today. We need repentance in our churches. We wonder why so many people, and I think a lot of times rightly say, those Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Because we don't like to admit when we've done wrong. We don't like to repent because repentance requires humility. Y'all are very quiet this morning. <laughs> I understand. So let's talk about what repentance looks like. Repentance starts with confession. I know you think of confession as a Catholic thing. I'm not talking about that. This is a Bible thing. Confession. Look down at verse 2. It says, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and what? Confess their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So we need fasting and we need repentance. But listen, both of those aren't very good without confession. True repentance and true confession looks like this. It's acknowledging first who God is. It's acknowledging and accepting who we are in light of who God is, how good God is, and how holy He is. And then it's actually taking responsibility for our failures. And it's being broken because of it. And it's in our brokenness begging God for His mercy sincerely because, again, we don't deserve God's mercy. But it's through God's grace that we are able to turn from that sin, to repent from that sin, and we can actually chase after God with everything in us. 
Notice what the priest says. Skip down to verse 6. We're going to skip around through the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 6. It says, You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that's in it. He's recognizing who God is. The seas and all that's in them. You give life to all of them and all the stars of heaven worship you. And then after all that, he begins to go through a whole history recalling God's faithfulness and God's blessing to all these people. How he brought them out of the land of Egypt. How he led them on dry ground through the Red Sea. How he provided for them in the wilderness. And he helped them conquer the land of Canaan and gave them blessing after blessing. And time and time and time again, God was just so good. And then down in verse 16, they acknowledge but our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. And then they go on to list the disobedience of God's people. And they confess their national disobedience. Verse 17 says, But you, I love this, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. And just to sum it all up, they continue telling how God has blessed them time and time and time again, how he never left them, but still, for whatever reason, they rebelled against God. And time after time, in his compassion, he kept right on loving them. And in their sin, they kept throwing it right back in God's face. How many can relate to this story? And so, over time, God allowed his people to be judged by the nations that surrounded them. He allowed them to be taken into captivity, not just because they deserved it, but in the hopes that that would bring them to their knees in repentance. And when they, they were judged by the nations around them, they would cry out in distress to God, and God would hear them, and he would see their hardship, and he'd, he'd, which they brought on themselves, to be honest. And God would spare them yet again. It's like, how many times is God going to be faithful? Look at verse 27. It says, In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And you rescued them many times in your compassion. God, I could make a list as long as this room how many times God has delivered me in his compassion when I didn't deserve it. Verse 33, skip down to verse 33. They say, you are righteous. You're righteous concerning all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. And jump down to verse 36 and 37. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors, so they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. And I've read all of that to you and gave you that story because that is what true repentance looks like. It's what a real confession 
looks like. It's not just feeling bad for what you've done. It's not just feeling bad because you got caught for what you've done. It's much more than that. It, 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 it's, it's not just wanting to escape the, the, the torments of hell forever, but it's coming to an understanding that first God is good, like we sang about this morning, that He is compassionate, but at the same time He is just and He is holy in all of His ways, and that we, we have done things that are disgraceful in the eyes of God. And it was our filthy sin, not just the sins of our ancestors, not just the sins of all the bad people in the world. It was our personal sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross and nailed him there to die. And it was for our sin, not the sins of the people around us. It was for my sin and for your sin that the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out. That's what we've got to wrap our mind around if we're truly going to be repentant. And when you begin to soak all that in, when you begin to realize what it cost God to save your soul, <laughs> that should break you. It should break your heart. That should bring you to your knees in repentance. It was quite a while, it was years after I'd given my heart to Jesus, after I'd gotten saved. For whatever reason, it clicked. I'll never forget it. I've been a Christian for a while, but for whatever reason, this particular day, man, it just registered with me. I don't know if God just smacked me upside the head or what happened. But I began to realize and understand, truly understand. I'd read it. I'd, I'd heard it in church. I'd said it myself. But I really began to personalize my salvation. And I began to truly grasp that it was my sin, mine, not, not anybody, not the influences of anybody else, not any other excuse I could make up. It was my sin, my faults, my failures, my lust, my drunkenness, my own personal sin that put Christ on the cross. And for the first time, I was truly, truly broken for it. Yeah, I'd felt sorry before. Yeah, I'd cried and snotted and carried on, but I was broken deep inside. My heart broke because of my sinfulness. And I was repentant. But I'll tell you, it was in that repentance that I experienced a personal revival. <laughs> that I truly began to grow. See, God doesn't just break you to leave you there. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In your confession and in your repentance, it's weird. Yeah, you're going to feel broken. It's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. Like wearing that sackcloth is uncomfortable. But you will find peace. You will find joy. As Jesus promised, you will find comfort in the repentance. You don't just stay broken. Jesus picks you back up. As the Bible says, he, he, he picks you out, up out of the miry clay and sets you on a solid rock for the first time in your life. So in closing, my calling for you this morning is very simple. It's to confession and repentance. You ain't got to come up here and tell the church all your dirty secrets. Please, please don't do that. But biblical confession and biblical repentance. You don't have to confess anything to me. 
You don't have to confess anything to a priest. We have a high priest that is a mediator between us and God. And his name is Jesus Christ. I want you to do this. Because in the confession, there's healing. We're broken, folks. We're broken because of our sin. But in the confession, in the repentance, we find healing through what God has to offer. Look at what 1 John 1, 9 says. You know this, some of you. It says, if we confess our sins. <laughs> what? He is faithful. Oh, Lord, we've been so unfaithful. But He is faithful. And righteous to forgive us. But not just forgive us. Look at the second part of that. But to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the righteous person, because I've been there before. Right now you're thinking, preacher, I don't have anything I need to repent from. I don't have anything I need to come to God and confess. Well, guess what? You need to come and confess that you are a liar. And I'm not saying that to be mean. Look at verse 10. We skip this one sometimes. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Church, if we want revival, and I do, I'm reminded every day that I'm out in the community how many people are lost. And on their way to hell. And if we want revival, it's going to start right here, I promise. It's going to start with God's people being real. Confessing our sin. We're going to talk more about that tonight. Being repentant. And I'm telling you, if we have that heart, if we have that spirit, and God can work through that. They can use this church. <laughs> I'm telling you. We can't even begin to imagine. I apologize. I know we've seen God do a lot of really awesome things. But I'm telling you, we can't begin to even dream what God will do through people with an attitude like this. This chapter has broke me this week. It's broke me. And my prayer is it does the same to you. Would you stand with us this morning? I don't know where you're at. What God has said to you this morning, I pray His Word is spoken to you. Maybe you're like me. You've been a Christian for a long time. <laughs> but you're never too Christian to repent and grow closer to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're broken because you don't know Jesus. You need a relationship with Him. Don't put that off any longer. Why don't you come this morning? Let us pray with you. Let us celebrate with you. Whatever God's dealing with you this morning, won't you come? Let me pray for you, and then we'll have time for invitation. Father, 
God, I pray that you would speak to us in spite of, in spite of me and my ramblings. God, your word cuts us deep. And God, I thank you that as the Bible teaches us, Lord, you've been so faithful, so good, so compassionate. Although we have failed you time and time again. And God, this morning I know there's things that's it's heavy on people's hearts. God, I pray the day they'd come and they'd find a healing. Lord, let, let them know they don't have to carry that around by themselves. They don't have to hold on to that deep inside, God. You hear their prayers. As the Bible says, you are just and faithful to forgive us and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, this morning, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray they don't leave here without a relationship with Jesus. God, we give you this time in his name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.